Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis Dahl from Summer Dental Laboratories in Zionsville, Indiana. And I'm Barbara Wojan, Oldsmar, Florida, Night Dental Group. Hey guys. You know, this is our last single digit episode. It's actually kind of sad. You know, I kind of wonder how many of these do we get to do before we're no longer new at it? Can we not blame being new anymore? Yes, we can blame not being new anymore. We need to get our together and do it as professionally as we can and not say on the air and move along and be interesting and get more fans and keep going. So yay, number nine. You get two more bleeps out this episode and then I'm kicking you off. (laughs) I'm a dental technician. We cuss, so get used to it. Sorry. In today's episode, we're continuing part two of the group of individuals that get to be their own boss that are five or less employees in the lab. I want to start off by apologizing for the audio of Masuda. I even tried to get some professional help to get it cleaned up. That's the best I could do, but I wanted to make sure she's on there because she brings a really unique perspective to our industry because she's a lab inside of a dental office. So I wanted to make sure her voice was heard. So let's continue. We have uh, Heather Voss, CDT, who, of course, helped me put everyone together. Masuda Faiz, Rob Greeson. And we also have Bo Murphy, who is a DTG, which is a Dental Technicians Guild guy. I never even knew what this meant until I met Bo. And I I find it fascinating because I've always went to conventions And I saw all these people walking around in black t-shirts with skulls on them that said damaged goods. And honestly, I thought it was some musical group. I I had no idea what it was. And the more I got to know Bo and he connected me with some other people on social media, I find it quite fascinating. And I hope to get this group on an episode sometime to talk more about it because I think it's pretty cool. I don't know how the heck you couldn't know who they are, but since you didn't know who they are, I know who they are and they've been amazing and they're all about handcrafted and doing some digital and they're all over the place and they're doing really good things for our industry. So kudos to that group. Yeah, let's see if we can get them on sometime. I think it'll be fascinating. So here we go, part two. King Arthur had his knights. Captain America has his Avengers. And dentists have their laboratories. These unique individuals have gathered together to entertain and enlighten all who dare to sit down at the round table and listen to the voices from the bench. Why aren't we working on July 4th? And it just blows my mind. How do you guys compete with larger labs selling restorations for a lower price? All of you guys sell high-end aesthetic restorations. For me, going out and trying to sell, the first thing they ask me is how much. How do you guys compete with that? I don't. Do you just walk away? No, I think it's like anything else. You position, when, and I can't speak for everyone else, but for me, I'm positioning myself in front of someone I'm speaking to, right? So if I meet someone at continuing education program or some other type of you know trade show, they ask you, oh, what kind of lab are you? And you, you pretty much set the stage for what you are. Now, do I offer an economy crown in my product offering? Sure, because I know that dentists have lots of different needs. And 
if I have a customer who really focuses on aesthetic work, but I know he's probably going to have a few patients in his long-term patients in his practice that need maybe an affordable option, I will offer something like that. Do I sell very many of them? No. But I don't think any of us, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but you can compete with a large lab because a large lab will do it cheaper, will do it faster. And I mean, we just talked about three-week turnaround times and letting people know, taking time off you know, months in advance. Um, those aren't things that most large labs do. I mean, most large labs don't even tell their customers if anyone in the department is going on vacation. You know, they just keep bringing it in and pumping it through. Every day, 24-7. Yep. Exactly. So it's just a different niche for uh, a customer. And you you tend to just try to find and align yourself with the people that share your same vision and your same philosophies about the kind of dentistry you want to do. I think it's bottlenecking to that more and more and more. I mean, I I respect the digital dentistry all day. That's wonderful. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this the last few years, especially just keeping the hands-on portion always involved. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, that's the biggest change. And, you know, it's interesting. So right now, a way for me to compete, like I said, is, is this or like we've been talking, is the style or the type of restoration I'm providing. So I'm not trying to compete with the Glidewell. There's there's absolutely no way, nor would I ever want to produce a, a style of work like that out of my laboratory and out of the people that I get involved with and, and try to train. My, my goal is never going to be, get this done. I was always told, don't love your cases. My entire career, even in the high-end aesthetic labs, they just don't love it. It's, it's got to get to a point that it's good enough. And I guess that's why I want more of a turnaround. Even in my larger cases, we get over we get over 10 units. We start getting into these full arch implant, retain, you know, screw, screw retained arches. It really comes down to give me the time to deliver the product you want. You know, Rome was not built in a day. So this probably segues all this into your question about we've identified the type of laboratories we are. How do we get in front of those customers that we want to serve? Yeah. How do you find the time if you're on the bench for a hundred plus hours a week? <laughs> you make it. <laughs> There's no other choice. You just make the time. I mean, I know Rob is really involved with Pinky and Dawson. Yeah. Um, it puts me in the same room as doctors that care. So it, it works out really well for me. Do you find that one of your biggest pools that you get new customers from? Uh, most of my customers come on referrals. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a room with a doctor being taught how to go about doing something and labs don't know what they're being taught, then it's easy for me to go in there and say, I know what you want. Good point. Mm-hmm. Ms. Suda, you're, if I remember correctly, is your laboratory in a doctor's office? Uh, yes, it is an in-house. I am upstairs and there's five doctors down, four actually, four doctors downstairs. And how does that work? I've always been intrigued by that and, and secretly have wanted to give have an internship where I could actually be physically right there with the patients and see stuff going into the mouth all the time. Well, actually, I worked with two between house situations because my primary uh, reason for moving was that the space was very nice and they needed rooms. And it turned out that they both these people turned out to be main clients. There's good and bad. Obviously, when you're sitting and building a full arch and you don't want any interruptions, that's when they have a question. <laughs> There's a patient downstairs that wants to concentrate on. and So those things, in, in that respect, yeah, you, you have a little bit of a challenge. But the advantage you get is you get to see the patient before anything starts. And you're basically another specialist in there at their service. And the patient see that. And you see the problems that maybe 
happening that they didn't see. You know, as a lab's perspective, you tell them some of the things that, you know, maybe the material choice that you picked isn't the right one. And a patient is just, you know, you get to talk to them, you get to see how their teeth move and, you know, lip line and all that stuff that I don't know about you guys, but I don't always get 100% of the information I need from my out-of-state accounts. Mm -hmm. In these offices, I sit one-on-one with the patient and we talk about them in the day that they seek them. I'm there. If there's anything that they need to change or modify even slightly, I'm right there and we can do it. Obviously, I I have talked to them and they need to make appointments, just like any other office that I go to. So in that respect, that's great. I get to learn their side. Sometimes they have surgeries. I go over there and look and see what they're doing. It helps me a lot to understand when you're not seeing the patient when I worked in the production lab. I never saw my work in the mouth. I really couldn't improve much. Whatever I saw at the bench looked great. You know, I thought it was good. But once you see it in the mouth, you kind of challenge yourself to say, you know, next case I got to fix this, fix that. It's just, to me, it's more like I, I look at it as I learned from them the clinical side and they learn from me the technical side and we get better results that Absolutely. But obviously there is a downside because you are face to face with the client. And if, you know, emotions get in the way sometimes, you know, I don't know why about you guys, but I'm kind of emotionally attached to these. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And if a doctor chips something or if somebody does something that destroys the restoration, it, it, that bothers me and I have to say something. Yeah, there's, that's that, um, that is the negative of it, I guess, but we work it out and it doesn't happen often. But when it does, it, I come back upstairs and take a break and know that, you know, that's part of the, the job and we're okay again. So, uh, that's, but, uh, but as far as if I were to do it uh, over, I think I would still want to be in house, you know, just maybe have more boundaries a little bit. I think it'd be wonderful to have that as well, Heather. And we're a little, a little envious of you, Masuda. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I'm sure as this challenges, I mean, I, I remember, so I'm just trying to think back to even John Archibaldi. He was in-house with Gordon Christensen, I think. And uh, at least his lab was, was around around the corner or something. But he was always, I mean, just, we need, we need custom shape. We need this. We need that. And it was just, they were running, running, running. So do you, do you find yourself doing a lot of that or no? I, I do. Because sometimes, you, you know, you plan your day. And at least for me, I'm very respectful of everybody's time. And that includes myself, too. And... If I plan for a day that I have an hour for this or two hours for that, sometimes being with the patient, it takes longer than mm-hmm. I yep. anticipated. So obviously, I don't get to go home on time. Um, you were talking about if any of us stay till 3 a.m. It has happened because I do have a fully set up lab at home, too. Oh, nice. So what I do is I have an hour commute. I take whatever I couldn't finish and that I plan to finish that day. I bring them home and... The biggest thing that bothers me is that now my family loses time with me. Because I, when I come back, I have to finish what I couldn't finish. Um, so that's something that I haven't really learned how to fix other than maybe adding another person to help me out. You bring work home. My wife would kill me if I brought in models or something home. That's Every day. Wow. I that I bring me and I... 30 minutes, maybe eat some dinner with the family, and I'm back in the lab working. Doesn't happen um, as often anymore, obviously. I try to get as much done as possible, stay late if I have to. But when they were younger, that, that was important for me to be home early. Mm-hmm. 
physically being there, they made my girls feel comfortable mm-hmm. that they could come and talk to me. Um, I did the same thing, Masuda. I, waxing was easy to do while they were asleep. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you have a lot of clients that are not in the dental office that's downstairs? Or do you only work for the doctors downstairs? No. Well, I have all the state clients. I, I have out of the office clients. Um, in one even in Canada, he doesn't send much, but when he sends a single centrals, that's um, Ooh, you're international. Exciting. <laughs> but uh, no, no, but but mainly, usually at the other office too, the, the in-house doctor obviously and everything. Uh, so they became the main client. Uh, but my other doctors that are not on site, they send their aesthetic work, like I said, single centrals, um, more of the complex, uh, like which the rest of the group is doing today. Is, uh, it's more of the like implants combination cases, and and those patients and doctors, I go to them. If they're local, I go and see the patient, and when I have three to four week turnaround time for them, same thing. Though everything else stays the same except these four doctors that are in house. I love when they start you out with single centrals. That's that's my favorite. <laughs> let's give you the hardest crown ever to do in the history, <laughs> and let's see if I want to work with you anymore after that. <laughs> So do any of you guys advertise? I know, uh, Rob, you said mostly you get referrals, but does anybody actually do your traditional mailers, email blast, anything like that? No, I have a Facebook business page to direct people to look at the photos, but I don't have a website. I don't really market outside of that. I've got a website. I, I use a little, I use Facebook much, much more, Instagram. Just, just again, just show the work. That's all it is. I just show the work and tag some of the dentists once in a while and some of their dental friends will see it or, you know, other people who are following certain pages, they'll, they'll share it sometimes and they'll reach out to you. Right now, that's, that's all I'm doing right now. There for a while, when I first started to, uh, just over, just under two and a half years ago, I was doing a lot of cold calling just to just introduce, you know, and it was great. Putting on the smile the best I could and try to get past the freaking office manager. Always the challenge. <laughs> it is, you know, and it, it's it's starting to change, though. You know, I've been very fortunate as late. Just for instance, you know, last weekend I had five doctors reach out to me about potentially wanting to do some work. And so that's the beauty of, of the social media, I think, is and especially with what we do in our career. We can do this from anywhere. We can go anywhere. We just need our equipment. But anybody it, that you know, really wants to can send to us. And one thing that I, I think is is the most impactful is is really once you have the opportunity to, I really try to structure a phone call with the doctor. Um, even these doctors who are reaching out to me this weekend, I'm like, hey, I want to send you a price list. I want to send you lab subs. That's great. But I want a conversation. I got, I want to talk to you. I want to, I got to start learning something about you because it's, I'm very personal and I, uh, personable. I want I want to get to know that person inside of you, and, and if it's you know, if I can get a sense of if it's going to be great to work for you, if it's going to be difficult, and even on that sense, I'll still give it a go because you can't judge off the first meeting. But it's nice to get a little clarity and, and talk to them. I like to talk to their families and such, just to just to see what they're doing, what they're about, and, and that really helps me. And I think you know, looking at the competitive world that are in amongst the higher end aesthetic people, you have to have something else that, that also stands out 
for you. And I think it does come down to that personal relationship you can develop with, uh, with the person. Do you find that most of them appreciate that you take the time or do they just want to write out a lab slip and put you back in the hole? Uh, both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Someone was like, you know, I just, yeah, it's good. It's good to talk to you. Great. Uh, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm like, I appreciate it. And I know, I know you are. Thanks for the time. I try to do you know my best to get past that because we're all deeper than we show on the front what we're doing with our work. There's there's always a depth, so I, I always try to look for that because that's the that's the key that I want. But yeah, I absolutely just hey, you know it's great. Uh, I don't have time. I've actually had one hang up on me. Just really, um, you know, I'm just gonna find another lab. I'm like, oh okay, right yeah, on. wow, <laughs> go for it. You gotta love those people, and that's okay. That's just you're not gonna get along with everybody. You can't, but uh, I just think that we have. We have a unique skill set, and again, as we're we're all trying to get involved. I mean, do you guys all have CAD cams and stuff in your office, or no? Like milling machines and such, or what are you guys doing for that? I just have a scanner, and I outsource my milling and SLM. Same here. Yeah. That, that's what I do as well. For now, I mean, I guess that's how I compete with that that world or play in that world. But uh... it's true. Yes, you know, I have a scanner, and haven't had it for long, only a few months, but. Uh... I definitely see better results because I do scan and design them myself and then I send it off to milling. And then the hope mm-hmm. is in a six months or so to get a milling machine that I can keep everything in house, especially for some of the larger cases. So I can do my internal colors. And I think there's a learning curve. And that's what, to be honest, intimidates me. It took me a while to get familiar with the scanning and designing. It does. It does take time. They're all pretty similar, though. I mean, in, in a sense. I've been noticing a bunch too between, so Chase Smith has a milling machine and I was doing some outsourcing to some different local labs around here. And there's just a difference with people who understand what they're making, who understand, you know, one of my big pushes too, I think is to get these doctors into the hand craftsmanship. I, a lot of these guys are, in my opinion, I don't think we should be doing as many crowns as we are. They should be doing salvaging natural dentition. And certain composite buildups need to be done first. They need to be doing that before they ever prep a crown, in my opinion. But I think that there's a, there's a huge, almost the same thing that you're saying, Masuda, mm-hmm. of the, the scare of the learning curve. I think there's a scare of the learning curve of making physically with your hands a crown. And I want doctors to start, I would love to start a push for doctors to learn hand waxing for specifically when they are in the mouth doing these layers of composite to create the teeth to a degree of how to place it, how to put this, where to put these secondaries, these tertiary anatomy, this all of it. But uh, yeah, I see a huge difference in my milling when it comes down to the guys that, that have an understanding of it and the people that just bought a milling machine and use a library and just kind of pump it out. It's just, there's some... There's actually some beautiful work that can be done in the zirconia that I'm, I've been pretty impressed with. I wanted to build on that digital part of it because I think this is probably a pretty big misconception for a lot of people who don't have a small lab perspective is that they think, oh, we're small labs. We only do analog. We are, you know behind in materials or all PFMs, whatever, you name it, you'll hear the thing. And I I don't think that could be really further from the truth when you look within a certain segment of small laboratories. And so I'll I'll use mine as an example. You know, I've been very fortunate that I worked in larger laboratories, so I was exposed to a lot of technology. You know, I, I understand the workflow processes. I understand how to leverage it. I understand all that goes into the back end, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, I got to get a scanner and a miller. And what they don't realize is depending on the size of your organization, a mill can put an incredible amount of labor strain and cost that you didn't understand up front. 
And to me, the beauty part of using technology as a, a small laboratory, when I was one person, now I'm two and a half people, is it gives me so much more capacity. I can take that same labor and I can get so much more out of it. Because in essence, if I'm scanning and designing and then I'm outsourcing that to my trusted partners to give me my SLM coping or my milled zirconia or my milled PMMAs, while that's being done by someone else's labor, I'm being able then to work through everything else that I'm analoging in my lab. And I can tell you, it makes it more efficient. It makes me more productive. It makes me more competitive because there's no material now that's not within my purview because if you have a scanner, you have access to pretty much everything. It seems like a lot of labs, you know, they compare each other's success by how many mills you have. (laughs) And I don't... And I don't think that should always be the case. I think in Chicago, I got asked three times how many mills I have. I can tell you, I will resist that for as long as it's humanly possible. Not to mention the fact that zirconia is probably like my least favorite product on the face of the planet. But (laughs) I've seen mills like and you don't need one mill because if you become reliant upon that one Mm -hmm. mill, that one mill is going to break down and then you're going to be that mill for weeks or days. Right. So then you in essence need two mills. Now you've doubled the cost then no one thinks about the amount of time it takes to actually service that mill, right? Because there's a lot of maintenance and service that goes into a mill or all the air cleaners that you need to go along with the mill or the super sucky vacuum that's got to go into sucking all that milled stuff out of it, right? I, I love when I see the ROIs from, from the manufacturers about equipment. And never in any of those ROIs do they factor in the maintenance labor, or the what I call auxiliary labor, right? The stuff that goes into loading the pucks, cleaning them out, the camming of the whole process. Like it's it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Oh yeah, we have to outsource as a backup. Yeah, I mean it's we don't have an option, and you don't know it breaks down until it breaks down, and it's it's pretty terrible, really. Yeah, it doesn't make for a good day. But I really believe that technology makes small laboratories competitive not in a price aspect but in a capacity aspect i am so nobody here is is milling their own they're all outsourcing it yes sir yeah do you guys feel that the vendors are able to help you even though you don't buy the volume because i know we have a lot of local reps that really push doctors to use us knowing that we're gonna use their product do you guys have that sort of assistance or no um no like I said, I mean, they've been helpful, but I wouldn't say they're pushing doctors to me. <laughs> me neither. I would say it depends. Not all vendors are created equal. True. Yeah, agreed. Secondly, I found that I had to educate my local sales reps, right? So, because I'm not going to buy a ton of volume, like they're probably not going to put me on their call list. They're not going to like make me one of their regular stops because, as a small lab, you don't do as much volume as some of the larger's. But where you are is this incredible resource for them because you can do things that a lot of the laboratories in your area can't, right? So a lot of my local reps know, oh, hey, you got a complex implant case, give Heather a call. Oh, it's a really important, you know, veneer case or cosmetic case or whatever. Hey, I know this great lab. If you're struggling with that, you know, and it's not like I get 12 million, you know, referrals a, a, a day, but at least you're, you know, if you take the time to call them, take them out for coffee, introduce them or see if you see them, you know, at a, when you're a local, whatever, it, it helps at least let them know you're there and what value and you bring to the table. But yeah, they're not going to make me like, I don't even have a local sales rep. I'm in Ivaclar's backyard and I love Ivaclar. This is not a slam on Ivaclar, but, and I get it right. You have limited resources. So I'm a small fish. Yeah. I know these people, I've known these people forever. I've grown up in the industry with them, but they don't, I don't have a, 
I don't have an outside sales rep because I'm too small. You're not it. buying 30 blocks a day. So. I'm not. I'm buying zero yeah. blocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that. But yeah, I mean, definitely the small lab, you don't get the same level of attention unless you've got a really super close personal relationship to specific reps. I agree completely with Heather. Bob, you're so smart. Rob, you can say more than you can agree with me. I'd like to hear your voice. Trust me, I'm yelling already. (laughs) What kind of uh, internet do you have down there in Florida? None or what's what's going on? (laughs) Dial up? You still on dial up down there? (laughs) Yeah, I I love the noise it makes connecting. So where does everybody see where they're going to be in five, 10 years? Are you going to stay small? I know Heather's trying to grow a Glidewell of the East out there. So No, Heather is not. Heather will stay small. Heather just wants to have a little more economy of scale. I definitely have no intention of being big. Then they're done that. I don't think I have a cap on mine. I, I'm not, I'll cap it when it makes sense to cap it, I guess, uh, as, a, as a business owner. And, and I don't know, there, there's going to be a lot to go through and learn in my rookie years. As I go through it all, I... You know, earlier I was going to say this earlier. You know, a big thing that's going to be for me with my employees is going into this industry, into this process of having employees. Going, you know what? I'm going to do my best to find the best employees I can. I'm going to offer every opportunity that I felt like I wished I would have been offered. Rob and Musu, do you guys have really unique situations? You have unique setups. I know Rob, you really struggled back and forth with the thought of taking on partners, being solo. You dipped your toe in the water. Um, you know, Masuda, obviously you worked for a large lab, you had it at your home, you moved it into an in-office, you know, in hindsight, is it, is this the path you would choose for yourself if you had it all over again? Is there anything you would do differently? Can you think of anything you want people or the industry to know about small lab stereotype that you want to squash like a bug or, you know? I I think, yeah, there's several things that I I know that I could have done differently, but first and foremost, I think such a, and you're one of the few female lab owners that I know and I kind of live under a rock so I'm sure there's it's a different world for us I think I started out I was in my late 20s and the challenges for me were always I was getting a lot of interest from different clients and my question was I work by myself and I have a situation I told you I have young children and I have to be a mother first before I'm a businesswoman or a technician and I, I feel like I let a lot of great potential clients go because I didn't pay enough interest in their business and I did not want to take on more than I could handle. I should have hired more people. They wanted to work with me. Every single person that I worked for came to me. We were talking earlier about the advertising. I never advertised. I, yeah, I made a website. I, I recorded a three-minute video. I talked about what I do. But most, almost everybody came to me as a part of their friends. And I thinking if I had kept every one of them and I maybe had a few four or five people with me who shared the same philosophy and I trusted people more. I guess I saw in that big production lab that you guys were talking about people that you can trust and then they're not going to get up and take your customers and go open up their own. I think I was very afraid of that, a little too afraid. And that probably hurt me a little bit to just let them, like you were saying, that teach them everything you know and then let them grow, and if they're gonna leave, they're gonna leave. That was my fear. So I think that was one of that is one of my regrets that I had a couple of opportunities, 
And I have Caroline doctors who were very much so interested and serious about investing into the technology for me. Financially, I couldn't afford that. $200,000 fully digital lab or you know, having my own building. And all of those decisions I made, but as far as what I would do differently as far as keeping a high end, no. That I would still do. I still will continue to do. I definitely want to grow to maybe a three to five person lab in the next three to four years. But would I be more open-minded and give more new doctors a chance? Yes. If they were younger, I was afraid that they maybe they don't know enough. Maybe I'll have remakes with these people because I always had that fortune of, you know, having to work with clients that were well known and they had a great reputation. And it was a mistake to not let the younger doctors get in, you know, and, and I work with them. So I hope I, I, I answered the question yeah, right. No, I, those are great points. And I think you probably spoke to a lot of people who've been in that position at some point along the way. Rob, how about you? Uh, For me, I just love doing this stuff and learning and meeting great people out there, continuing education and meetings. And I'm grateful to have work coming in my door and be able to get home and see my family at night on the weekends and just be part of a good team of doctors. So you're happy where you're at? I am. And that's the struggle with expanding or taking on a different role is just not knowing what that's going to change. My dynamic right now is just really great. I'm happy. Yeah. I love it. This can be a lifestyle business if you set it up right. Well, I appreciate everybody joining me today. I think we had a good chance to kind of learn more about labs that aren't medium or large, <laughs> uh, whatever that number is. I really appreciate everyone sharing the story yeah, with me. Thank you for having me. I would love to do it again. I'd love to see if we can maybe come up with some more topics to discuss and see if we can educate people more about what goes on in smaller labs. Awesome. Excellent. Bo, Masuda, Rob, and again, Heather, thank you for putting this together with everybody. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Elvis. All right. Thank Thank you all so much. Bye-bye. So again, I want to thank Heather, Masuda, Rob, Bo for the great roundtable that they helped me do. Some great stuff. I want to get them back on. Maybe we can do it again. I encourage everybody to check out VoicesFromTheBench.com. All the guests are listed. They have links to their websites or their Facebook page. I highly suggest checking out some of their work. It's beautiful. Some great restorations. So this is exciting. We got an email from a listener at info at voicesfromthebench.com. I'm going to read the email. It says, hey, Elvis and Barb, I love the podcast. Really enjoy the guest and content. That being said, I would like to have more episodes talk about techniques. Maybe you can get a guest on talking about how they do all on four or complex treatment planning. P.S. I love the theme music. Allie, thank you for the email. I thought it was great, and I agree with you completely. I would love for the podcast to feature more technicians talking about technique. The problem is, is I need someone willing and able to do it without the use of visual aids. It's easy to be up on stage and talk with a PowerPoint, but on a podcast, all you got is audio. I mean, I can have pictures and links on our website, 
But if anybody is willing and capable to talk about technique, want to be on the show, please contact us at info at voicesfromthebench.com or on Facebook. We'd love to have you on. I don't care if it's fixed, removable, implants, ortho, sleep devices, anything at all. We'd love to have you on. Awesome. See ya. All right. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. Bye. super sucky vacuum that's got to go into sucking all that milled stuff out of it.